summarize, because uh, some of the high schoolers moved up, the ones that graduated this week. So let's quickly summarize. What? That's right. Don't make me write y'all's name on the board on that back row. I'll write your name on the board. Yeah, I said we were in the back row. That's right, you got a new back row. Dun dun dun. Where's Michael? He eating? Rebels. Jason, don't eat that. I know he's eating, I saw him in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, oh, now, now he's in the back row. Hey, when he, when he comes out, let's all look at him. And, okay, no, we won't do that. We won't do that. We won't do that. Okay. That's not polite. That's not polite, I'm sorry. Alright. So. Let's do a quick summary. Romans chapter, or just the book of Romans so far. We started in chapter 1. We're in chapter 10 now. 1, 2, and 3. Anybody can summarize it for me? 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Nobody's good. Nobody's good. Not even one. That's a good summary of chapters 1, 2, and 3. The end of 3, we're introduced to God's righteousness. How? Through what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you got that, Dave. Jesus. Yeah, that's why we're here. Okay, so uh, through through Christ, we have God's righteousness. That's four and five. Six, seven, and eight basically was telling us how to live. It was saying now, six says, just because we have this wonderful grace of God, it says we don't continue in sin because we're dead to sin. And therefore, if you're just continuing in sin, it's good evidence that you haven't been born again. Seven, though, tells us that, remember it told us that we are still in the flesh, so we still struggle with sin. It's not like we are sinless now, that we are Christians and believers, but we still struggle in the in the flesh and we still fight against that. But eight, eight told us our victory. And then if you remember, nine, ten, or eight told us about the assurance of our salvation, that it can never be never be separated from the love of Christ. Y'all remember that? Nine told us basically nine, ten, and eleven are a parentheses where it shows us that you know, what about the promises God made to Israel? You know, how can we trust God to keep His promise to us if it seems as if His promise to them has failed? And we saw last week in chapter 9 that God has always chosen who His people are. And just because I am a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean that I am one of God's people. And He showed us from different examples. Y'all saw those. And now in 10... He's going to give us the other side of the story. If you were reading, <coughs> if you were reading Romans just out loud without chapter divisions, you would uh, you'd be asking right about now. Well, how in the world? How in the world do? How in the world is anybody going to be saved if God just chooses? Remember, we had that big long discussion last time about God choosing His people and everything, and so. People might accuse Paul of saying, well, you're just anti-Israel. You're just anti-God's you know, God's people. And so he's going to show us today about how God has given his righteousness for all those who call upon his name. So basically he starts off by saying, brethren, my, if you got your Bible, just look in your Bible if you can't read this. I had to write it kind of small. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. What does that imply? I want Israel to be saved because they are because they're lost. Right. He's talking about national. He's talking about his people. Remember, Paul was Jewish. 
He was an Israelite himself. I want them to be saved. They're lost. And he's going to tell us why they're lost. For I bear them record, he said, I give testimony to them that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Okay? What do they, what do they not have knowledge of? Next verse says, they've been ignorant of what? Okay, so they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, how many people do you know? And I'm just thinking, I can list a bunch just of people that I know in my, you know, my own family, my own circle of friends, my own um, circle of influence. That they have a zeal for God. You know, I want to do for God. I want to do these religious things. I want to maybe, you know, faithful to go to church, faithful to do the ritual, faithful, faithful to do all these things. But they don't, they haven't come to Christ and submitted to His righteousness. They haven't come to God to submit to His. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God that they haven't submitted to? Anybody? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. That's just going to be the answer. Whenever I need somebody to say Jesus, I'm going to point to Jesus. That's right. Remember, it told us that Jesus is God's righteousness, and His death on the cross, resurrection, provides that righteousness for those who would believe in Him. So we can't work for it. We can't earn it. We can't. We can't do enough to get it. We can't. We can't even do. We can't even do the first thing to start working for it. I mean, everything we do uh, without Christ covering our lives, everything we do and everything we are is just evil and bad. Remember, it said, "There's no one righteous, not one." And so God's righteousness that he gives is through Christ. So these, these people he's talking about, they have a zeal for God. They have a, they have a zealous, uh, I, we're wanting to do for God, we're wanting to serve God, we're wanting to work for God. But the problem was they were thinking that their working for God earned them a place at God's table. Okay, And it's easy to do. Even though, right now, if I went through y'all and I said, can you work for your salvation? Can you work for your salvation? Everybody would go, no, because that's, you know, that's what Scripture says, and we believe that, and, and we trust it. But you'll find yourself falling back into that mindset as you go about your daily life, as you go about your walk. Because when you, when you remember we, we talked about in Romans chapter 8 that God sees you, the Father sees you in Christ. Therefore, you're either, if you're saved and in Jesus Christ, if, if you've been born again, if He's Savior and Lord, all those things, then God, the Father sees you as 100% perfect in Christ. Right? And if you're not, if you're not saved yet, if you're not lost, the people that don't know Christ, He sees you as 0% righteous. So there's not, well, I'm doing kind of good, but, you know, I still need some work. But I, we, we all need work. But as far as what the Father sees, if we stood before Him in judgment today, right now, something happened to me and I dropped dead. And in the next second, I'm standing before God the Father. I would either be declared 100% perfect and righteous because Jesus Christ paid for my sin, or I would be declared 100% absolutely guilty and wicked because I'd be found with my own works. Everybody understand that? Y'all with me? Okay, so what was my point? What was I trying to say, Dana? Where are you going? Okay. All right, 
So, we'll, oh yeah, we'll find ourselves slipping back into that mindset when, when during the day or something, when we sin as believers and we still sin, um, we're convicted by the Holy Spirit because the Spirit lives inside of us. We don't go sin and just, yay, you know, I love the sins. We can't do that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and it causes us to be convicted. It causes us to feel remorse. It causes us to be repentant and regretful and all those things. But we also realize that 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, then what? He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all righteousness, right? But what do we do? We carry that guilt around. We, God doesn't love me as much anymore. God doesn't, you know, I don't know. I've just messed it all up and I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm whatever. What have you just done right there? If you're a believer, what have you just done? You just said that God is not. You've just gone, yeah, you've just gone back to your works. God is looking at me by my works instead of in Christ. Now, flip side. What if you spend the whole day today going door to door, sharing the gospel with people, and at the end of the day you say, man, God's proud of me. I am a man. What have you just done? Am I sweating? Am I sweating? Girl, I sweat when I eat. <laughs> anyway, if you uh, if you uh, if you go door to door doing all, the, I mean, today you just, I mean, you spent the whole day working for God. You spent the whole day doing what He wanted you to do. You spent the whole day focused on Him. You spent the whole day just, you know, getting after it. And you, at the end of the day, you said. I'm pretty awesome. God is really proud of me. What have you just done? Yeah, but you're, you're assuming God is looking at you through your works rather than through Christ. See? So it can go either way. It can go either way. And we have a tendency to fall back into that. We have a tendency just to, to fall back into that either way. Whether we're doing good or whether we're not doing good. We have a tendency to think... You know, and, and it's a good thing you get rewards for your good works and you, you know, you uh, are convicted and, and the Holy Spirit chastises you when you do bad. But as far as God, the Father, looking at me in judgment, when, when it's time to say heaven or hell for Jason, the only thing that's going to matter, the only thing that matters is, is Jason in Christ Jesus? Because if he's in Christ, then he's perfect before the Father. Okay? If he's not, he's absolutely wicked. He's never done anything good. Not, not one thing. No matter how many people I've helped. No matter how many old ladies cross the street or whatever. If Christ is not covering my sin, covering my life, there's absolutely nothing good on my account. Y'all with me? So, they have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and he's talking about the righteousness of faith there that comes through Christ. They have gone about, going about to establish their own, their own what? Their own righteousness. Right. If you notice, I underline righteousness. Uh, seems pretty important in this section. He says it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times if you count their own. And because they have gone about to establish their own righteousness, they have not what? Submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What do you think Paul means by saying, submit yourself to the righteousness of God? What's he talking about right there? Yeah, but more specifically, like, 
These Jews, these Israels, pray for Israel, they are lost. He's praying for them to be saved. The reason they're lost is because they're ignorant of God's righteousness and have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. So what would be to submit yourself to God's righteousness? To get saved. Alright, which means, how do you get saved? That's right. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I was trying to pull that. I was trying to pull that out of you. It was all those answers are right. Paul is saying they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. To submit yourself to the righteousness of God is to give up working for your salvation. It's to give up saying, I can I can earn my place. God, I can do all this stuff for you and it will earn me a place in heaven. It will earn me the right to sit at your, at your feet. It will earn me the right to be called your child. Um, there is no one on the planet that has ever lived save Christ who has earned anything before God. God... <clears throat> far less than even owing us a place in heaven, He doesn't owe us to be alive as long as we've been alive. I mean, the first time that we've sinned, He would be right and just to destroy us. I mean, like, you're thinking, I've said this before, but if you, you're thinking like, you know, if I'm standing here talking and all of a sudden lightning comes through the side window and fries me into a, a bloody puddle on the floor here, Everybody would go, and it would be like, oh, it's awful. I don't know, some of you might like it, but (laughs) most people would be like, oh, that's awful, that's horrible. But understand that God would be perfectly right and just to do that because he's good and I'm not. Therefore, he's saying that these folks, they were ignorant of God's righteousness, which only comes through Jesus Christ. And they went about to establish their own righteousness. They started working for earning a place at God's table, earning a place at God's side, earning their merit before God. And they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. They have not come and said, okay, I can do nothing in myself. Therefore, I need you, Christ. I need Jesus to pay for my sin. I need him. That's submitting yourself to the righteousness of God. And that's why he's saying, brethren, my heart's desire for Israel is that they may be saved. So Paul is not saying when we come back, come from chapter 9, it sounded like Paul is just anti anti-Israel. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, I want them to be saved. I want them to come to know this Jesus that I've been preaching about. It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. What does it mean that Christ is the end of the law? Does it mean that there is no more law and we can go murder and steal all we want to? Okay, then what does it mean? It's the end of the law he fulfilled it, and if we believe in Him, then that's where we get our righteousness. That's, that's right. That's, that's a pretty good answer, man. You go. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. No longer can you get, no longer can you even think that you can get righteousness through the law. I mean, there's no reason for you to even think that because it's already been shown that no one is good. No one has kept the law. He's going to tell us a little later here that if you think you can get righteousness through the law, you have to do it 100% perfect. It's not that you got to do pretty good. You have to be absolutely perfect. So he says... Does it not also point to that he is the last and ultimate sacrifice? 
Right. Well, yeah, he's the only sacrifice. All those, all those animal sacrifices in the Old Testament didn't cover sin. Hebrews tell us that the blood, blood of bull and goats, you know, doesn't atone for sin. All those pointed toward the sacrifice that was coming. So it was all looking forward to Jesus. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To who? To the saved. Okay. What does the verse say? I mean, everyone that uh, okay. <laughs> everyone that believes. So it's not just Jew Gentile, and he's going to show us that later. It's not just Jew Gentile, God's people, national this or national that. It's to everyone that believes, everyone who trusts in Christ. And then from five to fifteen, he's going to show us that this righteousness that he's talking about, it only comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can get it. It doesn't come through any other method. It doesn't come through any other program. doesn't come through any other way. It only comes through Christ. And he's going to quote Moses. He says, For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law. He's quoting Deuteronomy 30 here. He says, That the man which doeth those things shall live by them. He's saying, There was a time when men thought that they could get righteousness by the law. But... The problem with that is that the man who does this, what does doeth these things mean? Try to get righteousness by the law. The man which doeth these things, he shall live by them. What he's saying is, it's not just a, it's not just a one-time deal. If you want your righteousness to come by obeying the law, you've got to do it every second of every day. All of your life. You can't start right now. Like, how many of y'all are... There's nobody in here under 18, probably. I'm looking around. Nobody. Okay? So let's say we're all 18 and above. You can't start at 18 and say, Okay, I'm going to start working my way to being justified before God. Why? Yeah, huh? You missed 18 years. Yeah, you've done missed 18 years. Can you imagine Can you imagine uh, standing before a judge that you committed a crime? Or I am kind of sweaty and... If you committed a crime and saying, Judge, I, I know I've committed a crime and I'm sorry I killed that lady. I promise it won't ever happen again. I'll do better from now on. What would the judge say? Yeah. So if you, you stood up today and you said, God, I, I'm sorry I sinned all those 18 years and I, I promise I won't never do it again and I'm going to be good from now on. As if it were possible. Let's say it were possible that you never sinned again the rest of your life. Would that mean you were righteous before God? No. no. You still had 18 years to pay for it. Right? And somebody's going to pay for it. So he's saying Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things, which tries to live by the law for his righteousness. Now the law is a good thing. Remember in chapter 7 it said the law is holy. The law is good. The law is not a bad thing. We live by the law because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But the man who tries to make himself righteous by living by the law... He has to live in it day in, day out, day in, day out. James says if you transgress the law in a single point, then you've transgressed the whole thing. Right? So it says, but the righteousness... Okay, this is 5, 6, 7, even... But say the word... An 8. Paul is quoting Moses from Deuteronomy. Okay, so he's given an example. Here's his premise. I want Israel to be saved. They have forsaken God's righteousness, trying to establish their own. And then here he's going to prove his point in 5, 6, and 7. 5, 6, 7, and 8. 
it says, For Moses describes the righteousness by the law. And then verse 6 says, But now he's going to describe the righteousness which is of faith, speaking on this wise. And this is quoting Deuteronomy 30. When I don't know if you remember Deuteronomy 30, but, but Moses has brought them all the way up to the promised land. And he's right about to go. And Moses is not going with them, but they're about to go into the promised land. And he puts them on, you know, the he puts their, half of them are on one hill and the other half are on the other hill. And that's the point where Moses said, okay, choose, choose life, you know, or death. You know, God set this before you. You can choose life or you can choose death. And he, this is where he's quoting this from. And it says he's, in, in Deuteronomy, he's talking about the righteousness that would come from law. But Paul uses it to talk about the righteousness that comes from faith. Are y'all with me? Yes. I haven't lost anybody yet? Okay. It says, don't say, say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ from above. This is Paul commenting on what Moses said, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. Basically, you could get bogged down in that, but the whole premise he's saying is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go look for it. You don't have to travel up to heaven and have and and go and get it. And you don't have to you don't have to pass through the oceans and over the mountains and you don't have to go down into the down into the grave of the you know you don't have to you don't have to expend your energy for it because Christ has brought it right to you. Um, it says, verse 8 says, but what does it say? It says, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. This is still quoting Deuteronomy. And Paul says, what was Moses talking about? That is the word of faith. So this word that is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, what is it? Hello? What is it? The word of faith. The word of faith. That's exactly correct. See, it feels good to be right, doesn't it? That is the word of faith. Exactly right. Sicily had Which we preach. That Paul has been preaching. He's saying, look, all this stuff that y'all are leaning on, all this stuff that y'all are looking for that Moses has been talking about and that all this tradition, he was talking about the same thing that I'm talking about. That's what Paul would say. I am talking about the righteousness which comes by faith in Jesus. Moses was talking about the righteousness which comes by faith. Okay, so it says, and here he said, here is the premise, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, now, notice, I love this. In, in, if, you were, if you were a dude in the first century, and you were reading this, Paul had written this deal, you would, you would know what that means a whole lot better than we know what it means today. Because back then, if you confess somebody your Lord, that means they owned you. That means you did what they said. It's not like, it's not like, well, yeah, you're, you're Lord. Okay, but now I'm, I'm just going to go on. When, you walk, when, when, a, when a person became the servant, confessed someone their Lord, then that means you do, you do what they say. They are your master. They are your Lord. And it says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. I want to paint this picture in your mind. All of you guys know, and I know people that... Say I love Jesus, but don't live like they love Jesus. And they, you know, you know, not that we know who's lost and who's saved, but you got people that you worry about. 
you know, that you just don't see fruit and you pray for them and you just don't know what to do, how to handle it. Um, so it's possible to say with your mouth that I love Jesus and Jesus is Lord. Even the Bible says, Matthew says, many will come and say that I'm Lord, Lord. But what he's talking about here, picture this. In the first century, let's say you, you're on a construction crew or whatever. You're doing something. And you're working. You're just, it's a day in the life of a Roman citizen. You're just working. It's all good. You done left the house. And you're building on something, whatever. And back then, they would... Uh, there was a, a cult of Caesar worship. You would worship. You had to worship the Caesar in order to, to buy, sell, to do, to do anything. And if you refuse to do so, they just keep. So let's say you're out there working, and and all of a sudden here comes some Roman soldiers with a little shrine, and on it they had a little bowl of incense with a little flame going. And what they wanted you to do, they would bring the thing right up to where y'all were working, and they would say, "Hail, pay homage to Caesar." And you would have to walk up there, grab some bowl of incense, throw it in the fire, and say, Caesar is Lord. That's what you did. Okay? So, you're standing in line at this thing, and you're a Christian. And you're thinking, what am I going to do? Right. The first guy comes up, and he grabs a thing of incense, and he throws it in the fire, and he says, Caesar is Lord. You step off to the side. You, he gets to go back to work. He gets to go home. He gets to do all those things. The next guy, he's a Christian. And he says, I can't do it. Or he throws in the fire and he says, Jesus is Lord. So, off with his head. Body, you know, rolls off the deal and there he goes. Alright? Now here you stand. You got a choice. You can either say, Caesar is Lord. And then you get to go back to work. You get to go back to your family. You get to see your wife again, your husband again. You get to do those things. Or, you can say that Jesus is Lord. And you get that. Now, when he wrote, when Paul wrote this, confess your mouth that the that Jesus is Lord, basically, the Lord Jesus. He was saying two things. He was saying, he was saying, number one, it's not just that, yes, I like this dude named Jesus, and he's awesome. He was saying, no, no, Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your master. You have submitted to him. Remember how it started? They did not do what? They did not submit themselves to God's righteousness. But here, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you have submitted yourself to Jesus. And secondly, secondly, he's assuming that because in this culture, if you confess with the, your mouth the Lord Jesus, you know, off with your head, right? So he's assuming that people understand that when you do this, you know, this is, this is a serious matter. Because if they started persecuting Christians like they're doing right now in Iraq... If they started doing that here, our attendance here at church would probably be a whole lot less. And you know what I mean? Because, like, can you imagine how many people would be waiting outside the Joel Osteen concert if they were all was scared that they might get their head cut off for having the deal? You know? So he's assuming that the people that do, the people that do confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, they really mean it because they're putting their life on the line for it. And he says, if you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, if you, if you understand that He is your Lord, He is your Master, you submit it to Him, and shall believe in thy heart that God raised Him from the dead. Why should you believe in your heart? Why do you have to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? What's the point of that? Huh? Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. It's true. But, 
she, she said he will raise you also. But what, he, what Paul is saying here as far as salvation goes, if you believe that God raised, the Father raised Jesus from the dead, what you're saying is that the Father accepted Jesus' payment. Okay? That was the proof that the Father accepted Jesus' death on the cross was that He raised Him from the dead. He raised Him from the dead for our justification is what the Scripture says. So when you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you're not just believing that Jesus was dead and now He's alive. You're trusting that he, His sacrifice is the only thing necessary for your salvation. Because you believe that the Father accepted only Jesus' sacrifice to atone for all of your sin. Does that make sense? And that was proven by the fact that He raised Him from the dead. Okay? Y'all still with me? Everybody good? Any questions? Okay. So what He's saying is, okay, I want my countrymen to be saved because they're ignorant of God's righteousness and they've not submitted Okay? Here's the proof of it. Even Moses, even Moses in Deuteronomy, he told y'all that righteousness comes by faith. Okay? The Word is right near you. It's not something you have to go do. It's not something you have to go work for. It's right near your mouth. It's right near your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that His sacrifice was accepted by the Father, that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's what it says. So he's saying, basically, he's saying, if you repent of your sin, turn and make Jesus your Lord, which is what we're talking about. That involves repentance because in order to make Jesus Lord, you've got to stop being Lord, you know, yourself. So if you make Jesus your Lord, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, accepting His sacrifice on your behalf, put it up. Then it says you what? Will, shalt be saved. And this is why. For with a heart, man believes unto righteousness. How do you get righteousness? Jesus. Yeah. Doing what? Believing in Jesus. That's right. And with the mouth, confession is made unto what? Salvation. Salvation. Okay. So what it's talking about here is a heart and an outward expression. Can you do something in your heart that is not visible in your life? No. I mean, you can fake it for a little while, but what's in your heart will always come out. It'll always, it'll always make itself known. You can't fake it forever. I don't care what it is, whether it's Christianity, whether it's uh, being nice to the mother-in-law you hate, you know, or well, whether it's whatever, I mean, whatever it is, whatever's in your heart will eventually come out in your life. You cannot keep it. You cannot. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So it says, with the heart, the man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What he's saying is there, the whole man, the whole man, inside and out, is submitted to the righteousness of God. Okay? So does that mean now I have to concentrate on, well, I better do good from now on? No. I have to concentrate on Christ. And Christ makes me want to do good from now on. See what I mean? 
So my focus is not on I got to live better, I got to do better, I got to act better, I got to think better, I got to speak better. That's not my focus. All I got to do is love Christ. And He will make me think better and love and act better and walk better and do better and all those things. All I have to focus on is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. The kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to For the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on Him, who is Him? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. That's right. Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed, shall not be disappointed, shall not be put down, shall not be... uh, What it's saying is you can trust Him. Whoever believes on Him will not be let down that He wasn't able or He wasn't willing. Whoever... Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And this is, this is the point he's making in the whole Jew-Gentile argument. For there is what? No There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all them that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see the point that he's making with chapter 9 and chapter 10? He's saying, look, you can't say that because I'm of this certain nationality that I am God's people. Right? God's people are whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And this whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quote from Joel. He's quoting the prophet Joel, the Old Testament. So what he's saying there is he's showing them, look, even in your own prophets, even in your own scriptures, in your own Old Testament, you got Moses and you got the prophets, both that agree that salvation is by faith. It's not by the works of the law. Now, I couldn't write the rest on the board, so let me just read it and then we'll go. And we'll do chapter 11 next week. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so if you're, if you're Israel, if you're a Jewish person, if you're one of Paul's countrymen, and you're reading this and thinking, you're thinking, well, are you saying, are you really saying, Paul, that there's only one possible avenue by which even God's people can come? Are you saying that God is not going to accept us? If we don't come by this Jesus way that you're providing, and of course Paul's going to say, that's exactly what I'm saying. He says, verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Okay? So what he's saying there is he's saying, look, I know it kind of stinks that you think that you're getting left out. But if you... I, I, had, one, I had one young lady that she asked me, as a youth, you know, they worry about stuff like this. And this was the point. She said, she said... Are there people in like the jungle somewhere? She said some country where about I don't know what it was. Are there people somewhere that just have never heard the name of Jesus? And I said, Yeah, probably. I'm sure there are. I know there has been in the past. And she said, 
Well, will they go to heaven? Even if they've never heard? And I had to say, people don't go to hell for not hearing. They go to hell for their sin. So if anybody in the jungle has never sinned, then they'll be fine. But if they've sinned, and she'll say, and she said, but that's not really fair, is it? That they never heard. And I said, well, that's kind of why God told you to go tell. See what I mean? If you really love them and you're really concerned about them, then what you need to do is get on a plane and go over there and tell them. Because the only way they're going to know is if somebody tells them. The only way they're going to hear is if a preacher sent. The only way they're going to believe is if they hear the word. You see what I mean? So this this doesn't he what he's doing is he's saying, look, not only is it not only is it imperative that you believe in Christ, but it's imperative that we start going out and telling people about Christ because they can't believe unless they hear, and they can't hear unless somebody preaches, and they can't preach unless somebody's sent. So if you really are concerned about these people, you know, from, I think she did a paper on some tribe somewhere. If you really are concerned about them, then rather than just saying, well, that's not fair, <coughs> you need to go tell them. You need to go, that's what we're here to do. We're here to go and tell them about Christ. Y'all with me? Questions? No? No questions? Okay. So it says... Back to Israel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now I want to take just a second. You will hear there are lots and lots of people that will use this phrase. Obeyed the gospel. To try to prove to you that you have to work for your salvation. The gospel says it should be obeyed. You know, I've had two or three different encounters with people from different stripes of of. You know, both of them I wouldn't consider Christian, but they would consider themselves Christian. Um, to say to me that using this phrase, obeying the gospel, means that you have to do something. You have to obey. You have to work. You have to do. But what does Paul say here? He kind of defines obeying the gospel himself. He, huh? Yes, it is. And he'll, he'll tell us right in this verse. It says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, which is Isaiah, saith, Lord, who has believed. Yeah. So what's the what's the what's the implication there? Obeying the gospel equals what? Believing. Believing the report. That's what he says. He says they have not all obeyed the gospel because Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And he says, but I say, have they, who is they? Israel. Still talking about Israel. Way to go, fellas, ladies. Have they not heard? But didn't Israel hear? Yes. Verily their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. The gospel has gone out to all men. But I say, did not Israel, so Israel's heard, did not Israel know? Yeah, they knew. Moses and the prophets have told them. It says, first Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. He's saying, huh? Well, he's showing them that 
It's always been in God's plan to include the nations into His people. It's never been... Israel's function in the Old Testament was to go and to include the nations into Israel. was to bring them... Well, yeah, they continually disobeyed. They continually, you know... And that's... If we were back then, we would have done the same thing. We're just as disobedient now as, as we've always been. So it says, it's showing them that even Moses said that God said He would take this people that are not His people, us, the Gentiles, the Greeks, and He would make His own people jealous by them. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found, talking about God, I was found of them that sought me not. Who was found? Who was found of, of them that sought me not? God, yeah, Jesus. Of them who sought me not. Who were the ones who didn't seek Him? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. Y'all are hanging with me good. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, so see the distinction? 20 is about the Gentiles, 21 is about Israel. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So what he's saying is, all these people that didn't care anything about me, all these Gentiles, you know, I was found of them who weren't even seeking after me. And it says, but all day long I hold out my hands to my people and they don't, they don't want to have anything to do with me. Okay, so he's going to continue in 11 and he's going to show in chapter 11, we'll see next week, how he has made the two people one people. So it's no longer Jew and Gentile. He uses the picture of an olive tree. Y'all see that in chapter 11 as you study it this week before we meet again. An olive tree and he's broken off the natural branches and grafted in unnatural branches. You know, that's, that's God's people is the tree. Those are God's people. And some that have not believed in Christ were natural branches from descended from Abraham. He's broken them off and grafted in others. So it's not just saying, oh, God has just forsaken Israel. Remember, Paul said, God has forsaken Israel because I'm in Israel. Paul said that. God has not forsaken His people. All He's done is included the nations into His people where He makes one people through Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? Make sense? Now, the point for us, though, is we need to understand that there are some of us who may have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, not according to right, Christ's righteousness, which comes through faith. And that faith, you've probably heard that verse a million times if you believe, you know, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God is raised from the dead. And the way that you always thought about that verse is exactly what Paul's saying. So I'm not saying that, oh, i got this new thing. The, the way you've always heard that verse is exactly right. But he's using it to show that now God has included any person who will bow the knee at Jesus Christ and come and submit themselves to Him. God has shown that from the very beginning, His people, His people are the people of faith. The people that trust in Him. Okay? You understand? So, you and I, you and I are considered God's children. Just as if Abraham was our daddy because of what Christ did 
on the cross to include us, and by faith we're included in Him. Right, you were adopted. We were adopted into His family. I think it says that somewhere. Though. Okay, is there any questions? So, the biggest thing, and we're going to do one more chapter, 11, dealing with this subject. And then in 12, he's going to move off and start talking practically. Okay, this is how we live now. Okay, because all this is true, this is how we live. So you got one more of these to deal with for next week, and then we'll go, then we'll go to 12. Okay? So, I guess that's it. No questions? Um, I don't know if this is on anybody else to bring up what we were talking about. Often the jungle or whatever the case. 